I'm reading from the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to St. Matthew, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Being a peacemaker is perhaps the most difficult task in the whole world. At times it seems as though human existence is nothing more than human conflict and war. And that is true in every area of life. Husbands and wives are at war with one another. Parents and children are constantly fighting battles. On the job, there's a constant conflict between employers and employees, as well as employees at odds with one another. As we look at the political situation around the globe, we see that there's little peace, only the rage of nations and kingdoms against one another. Iraq, Israel, Iran, and Afghanistan, and other places around the world are war-torn and have been for many generations. And now our country is being torn apart by internal war. The various religions of the world have certainly done very little to bring peace, but have actually brought more war and bloodshed into being. Of course, there is one place where everything is joy and peace, the local church. Well, I hope you caught the note of sarcasm. Whether we are talking about the denominational level or the tiniest of local churches, there is always discord, tension, and dispute, whether it is about theology or what color paint to use in the Sunday school rooms. With every phase of life being a constant clash, it's difficult to see why Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers, because it is a difficult full-time job, a thankless job, and one that usually brings very little result. It would seem that after nearly 2,000 years, the church would have brought some measure of peace to the world. After all, when our Lord was born, the announcement of his birth carried the wonderful proclamation, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be the Prince of Peace. And yet from 36 BC to 1968, there were 14,553 known wars, 70 of them after 1945. And of course that doesn't count all the unrest that we have recently experienced in the Middle East. We can understand why many critics of the Christian faith say that Christianity has failed in one of its primary missions, to bring in an era of peace. The church has responded in various ways to that criticism. First, we have tried to say that the peace that was promised was just an individual peace. When the individual receives Jesus Christ, he has peace with God, an inner peace. So that is the peace that was promised. So it is said, the task of the church has just been to preach the gospel so that people might have peace with God. But that is surely not what our Lord had in mind when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He has in mind the bringing of people together in order that they might live in peace and harmony. It would seem on that score that Christianity has been a failure, since even in the local church we can't achieve peace, much less peace around the world. Part of the problem with this criticism that the church has failed in its mission is a failure to realize how Christ brings peace to the world. There seems to be a very strange contradiction in this list of Beatitudes. Right after our Lord says, blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called the children of God. In the next verse he says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So here is the Christian, the peacemaker, and yet this peacemaker is reviled, ridiculed, and slandered. That's a strange kind of peacemaker. So in the very next beatitude, it doesn't seem that the Christian brings peace at all. It seems that he is often the center of anger and violence. The way the Christian lives, the things that the Christian believes, are offensive to most of the people in the world. So it would seem that Christianity is designed by its very nature to be a source of conflict. Our Lord said that it would be that way. In Matthew 10, 34, our Lord, the Prince of Peace himself said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Well, which is it? Is the Christian going to bring peace? Or is the Christian going to bring conflict? And the answer is both. You have to understand that we cannot divorce peace from righteousness. If there's going to be peace in the world, it has to be a peace based on righteousness, a right moral standard of life. The Christian does not believe in peace at any price. Any price could mean a totalitarian state in which Big Brother is watching us and making sure that we all conform to a standard. War might be eliminated, but at a price that most people who want to be free could not endure. Peace at any price could mean compromising on issues of right and wrong or letting everyone do as he pleases. What results, of course, is anarchy. Each person doing as he pleases, which sounds good, until what I please to do comes into conflict with what someone else pleases to do. The Christian does not believe in peace at any price, but a peace that is based on God's righteous standard. And it is because the Christian stands for righteousness, holiness, against the prevailing contemporary standards that he is hated and persecuted. It is not the Christian's fault, but it is the sinfulness in the hearts of others that brings the conflict. Remember how the Apostle Paul said, As far as is in you, be at peace with all men. It's not always possible to live at peace with all men, but the Christian does live at peace with all men as far as it is possible for him to do so. If the Christian is at the center of a conflict, it should not be because he is guilty of lust, greed, covetousness, hatred, wrath, strife, envy, jealousy, deceit, whispering, backbiting, proud, or breaking promises. If Christians are the source of any conflict, it only springs from the holiness of their conduct. If we cause conflict with others because of the sins I have just listed, then it is deserved. And it makes us the very opposite of the children of God. For the Christian's desire is to be a peacemaker. But how do Christians go about bringing this peace? This is where the conflict often arises. 
Christians know that they can only bring peace between people by following the biblical prescription for peace. For there can be no peace between people apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there may be a temporary truce between warring factions, but there can be no lasting peace apart from the gospel. For there to be lasting peace in the world, the problem of sin must be dealt with first. After all, it is because of sin that we have fighting and wars. As James writes, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? If there is a war going on, you can bet that lust is behind it somewhere. Lust for money, lust for love, lust for land, lust for power, lust for fame, lust for things, the desire to have things my own way. And lust is something that is internal. Lust has to be dealt with or there will be no lasting peace. All our wars and victories and wars only put a band-aid on an infection that has a much deeper root and will soon make itself known again. So the message of the church is, until you repent of your sins, there will be no peace. Conflicts and war will continue to rage. In order for there to be real peace in the world, we have to go to the source of the problem, which is sin in the heart of every single person. The only cure for that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into the world to reconcile us to God and to one another. When we receive Jesus Christ, one war comes to an end, our war with God. We are no longer in rebellion against him and his commandments. He gives us a new heart that loves him and wants to please him. Out of this love for God springs a love for others. We often hear about the war that will end all wars, but there is no war that will end all wars. All wars result in a temporary respite. The only thing that can end all wars is love. When people love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and their neighbor as themselves, then wars cease. But that kind of love is possible only for the Christian. Only the Christian has a new heart with a different kind of love, that kind of love that Christ had, that agape kind of love, that selfless kind of love, which sacrifices itself on behalf of others, rather than insisting on having its own way or having what it wants at all costs. So what is God's method of reconciling us to himself and with one another? God's method is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is the only way that we can be reconciled to God and to one another. In peace talks, we often try to build bridges between warring factions. But the only bridge that brings warring parties together is the cross of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 13, St. Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. 
For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and come and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. In this passage, St. Paul is dealing with the long conflict between Jew and Gentile. But now Jew and Gentile, who hated one another for so long, can now be united, made one at peace with one another. How did this union between Jew and Gentile take place? By the cross. What divided Jew and Gentile? The law, the commandments and ordinances. When Christ came, he did away with all that ceremonial law, such as circumcision and sacrifices. There's no need for those kinds of ceremonies because Christ has fulfilled them all. So Christ is our peace. He himself is the peace. If you want to have peace with someone else, then you come together and meet in Jesus Christ. Then those two who had been so opposed are made one person. This is true not only in the relationship between Jew and Gentile, but in every other relationship as well. Whether there is conflict between political factions, conflict between the races, conflict between the members of a family, a church, or a nation, Christ is the only peace. When people are united in Him, loving Him above all else, then there is peace. And there will never be peace in this world until all people bow before Jesus Christ and accept Him as their sovereign Lord. Until that day comes, there will only be more violence and more war. So the Christian doesn't believe in peace at any price based on just any kind of political settlement or philosophy of life. He believes in a peace that is possible only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is why we keep preaching. We know that all of the other peace solutions are going to fail. Only the gospel has the answer. And so we keep preaching so that all people might be reconciled through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is in this way that we become the children of God. In the Greek language, the word for children here is actually sons. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In the Hebrew mindset, when someone was called a son, it meant that he carried the characteristics of the father. They would often use this title son in relation to certain characteristics. Remember when Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father you want to do. A son acts like his father, and since the devil is filled with lust, so are his children. Barnabas was called the son of consolation or encouragement. That is, Barnabas was so characterized by encouraging others that it was as though a man named encouragement was his father. Now, in this beatitude, we are told that peacemakers 
will be called the children of God. Why is that? Because God, their father, is primarily a peacemaker. That is the whole point of the gospel. We were at war with God and with one another. God's grand design was to reconcile us to himself and to one another. And he did that by sending his only son to die on the cross. So when we engage in this noble act of bringing people together, trying to unite them in Jesus Christ, we are acting like God. Therefore, when we try to bring peace between people, we are called the sons, the children of God. We say to ourselves, if bringing peace was God's great design in sending Christ, then my great purpose must be the same, to be a peacemaker. May God make us truly his children by giving us the desire and ability to be peacemakers by bringing all people to Jesus Christ. Amen.